Audio Conversation with Suzanne Chancellor, recorded Friday, February 28, 2014. Suzanne Chancellor is a blogger and a podcaster, and she is writing and speaking about her own firsthand experiences. Uh, in a lot of ways, she reminds me a lot of myself. We met probably getting close to two years ago online. We've never met in person. We've talked for a bazillion hours on Skype. Uh, very interesting. We're, we're, we're on a very similar journey. She's a few steps farther down the path in some direction. Uh, it feels like I'm a few steps farther down the path in my own direction. And in a way, we have relied uh, on each other for a bunch of stuff. Uh, a lot of extremely weird, similar stuff. Suzanne has been um, quite outspoken and talked at length about her her own experiences in interview forms that she's done on her own uh, podcast series as well as on other folks' online uh, radio series. Uh, I am putting two links up on the show notes. Both of them are for uh, Peter Slattery's site. Now, Peter Slattery is a super sweet guy doing a podcast series out of Australia. And uh, I think these are both a good introduction. Part one and part two is it would be great for people to learn a little bit more about her experiences. We don't talk too directly about her experiences in the sense that, how to say this, you know, if you, if you, if you do this kind of thing, if you end up in this role, like the role she's in, and, and in a way like the role I'm in, what happens is you go on uh, other people's podcasts and you eventually, just, it, you sort of just tell the same story over and over and over again. And I didn't want to put her through that. So those stories are available. There are links to Peter's site. That's a good spot to start. And we talk about uh, pretty much everything else under the sun. A little bit of stuff is, is uh, overlapped uh, from what you might have heard on other stuff, but not much. I don't want to waste too much time on this intro because the, the our conversation is long. Uh, it runs for well over two hours. And um, I just want to say it was a joy and that um, we had been talking about this. Both her and I had been kind of hinting like, oh, I want to interview you. And then she would go, oh, I want to interview you. And, and what I wanted to do was kind of like for this thing was to interview each other, which in a way we did. Uh, at the beginning, we did the thing that I that I dread in a way, where we were very formal, and we spoke as if uh, I mentioned it on there. We spoke as if uh, we were both guests on CNN, and uh, yeah, and we definitely loosen up as as the uh, podcast proceeds. Uh, once again, the audio interview is well over two hours long. Please enjoy, Suzanne. I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. And it means a lot to me too, Mike. It's uh, been something that I've been wanting to do for quite a while. So thanks for asking. And I've been wanting to do it for a while too. And it seems like we just get on Skype and we have these like five-hour marathon talks. And and uh, but um, yeah, now it's, it's try to stay a little more formalized because I think we're we're both uh, a little giddy when we talk to each other. I agree. Good. Hey, so um, uh, I will in the show notes make sure everyone has links to your blog and your. Um, audio site and your podcast site. And um, so, so all that will be taken care of. And I also am going to put a link probably to both of uh, Peter Slattery's interviews 
so we don't have to um, tread over that ground. I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I need to have you tell the stories that you've told a bunch of times. So if folks are that interested in this, then they can go and find that themselves by checking in through the um, the show notes, where I'll have links to which I think both of those Peter Slattery interviews back to back would be a an excellent uh, starting point for you. Right. Good. Good. And then, um, so, well, let's, we have to do a little bit of an intro, I guess. So, so go ahead and just, as far as, uh, you've had certain experiences that I think you and I have shared, uh, whatever we have, a, we, you know, we, we share these experiences in a way. Yeah, we do. Um, I think that the way that we connected seems to be very congruent with a lot of other experiences, in my opinion, who do, do you remember? Do you remember how we connected? I, I'm trying to rack my brain oh, right remember. now thinking I about it. How we did I, it. I'm sure you do, but but correct me if I'm wrong. Was it through um, a fellow experiencer um, in regards to an article that was written? No. Okay, then please clarify. Okay, it was through <laughs> Facebook. Oh. And I don't know where I saw it, but I saw just a little thing you had posted somewhere. And it was actually about your radio show, which was called Random, which is called Random Alien Brain Droppings. And so that was a pretty good clue <laughs> to one part of the thing. But I saw your little icon, you know, how tiny those little avatars are on Facebook, little dinky postage stamp thing. And I said out loud, sitting alone here in my uh, uh, cabin, I said out loud, I said the year you were born out loud. And the first thing I emailed you was, were you born in 1962? I remember that now. Yeah. Yeah. And I was very perplexed as to why you would ask me that, obviously. And I was very perplexed to why it blurted out of my mouth there. So, um, just out of curiosity, have you met anyone else that was born in 1962? <laughs> so. Uh, well, you know, that's funny you should say that because, when you brought that up, and I think we had a conversation shortly thereafter, I sat back myself and I started thinking, well, wait a minute, who else do I know that was born in this year that might be attached to this experience? And subsequently, I did meet somebody who contacted me via an interview that I had done with Whitley Straber on uh, his Dreamland segment on Unknown Country. And when he contacted me, he was also a lifelong experiencer and had been born in 1962. And it goes a little bit further than that because he was actually born on my exact birthday. And do you tell that story on the Peter Slattery show? I believe I do. I, I'm not quite sure. Obviously, I'm off the record, Mike, um, right now. I don't remember. That's Those okay. interviews. You can say that. I mean, they blur together for me too. You just kind of get in a roll. That's on the record, by the way. So um, I'm not going to bother editing that out. So uh, okay, okay. Well, <laughs> we're allowed to like whatever. We're allowed okay. to get things stuff about <laughs> stuff like that. So um, yeah, that's a very interesting story. I'm, okay, well, here. Well, now that we're if we've gotten this far, you should tell it. So why don't you tell that story? Because I find that very interesting, partially because it has nothing at all to do with UFOs. No, you're right. Um, at that point, I was uh, doing some heavy meditation. I, this would have been a couple years ago? This would that was in uh, 2012. That was actually in July of 2012. Okay, then I think I met you in February of 2012 online. Okay, well, that I, would make sense. I don't know why I'm saying that. I might be wrong, but that's what I'm saying. So, Right. And this gentleman had friend requested me on... Um, April 20th, which was actually the day of the interview um, 
dreamland. And I didn't really think much about it because a lot of people throughout um, my interviews and, and being on Facebook and being very public about my experiences do contact me. And a few few times here and there, people will chat up with me on, on the instant messenger there. And it's really hard to engage everyone. And I, I wish I could, but it's as, as intense as this is, I know sometimes when I do connect with somebody, it just, it's going to go down a really long road. And sometimes I'll have little five windows come up at a time, you know? So when this gentleman had popped up in the little instant message and he connected and said, I heard your interview on dreamland and it really connected with me and a friend requested me. And so I accepted and it wasn't until July, the beginning of July of the same year, 2012, that um, it happened again where he contacted me. So there were a few months in between. We had no direct uh, communication. But what was happening at that moment was I was writing my book. I was on my laptop and I had been doing, uh, like I said, uh, a lot of meditating. And I just had this really strong message, I don't know where it came from, that I needed to stop what I was doing right at that moment and to close my computer and go into the bedroom and turn off the light, sit at the end of the bed facing the armoire and meditate for 15 minutes. And I'm telling you right now, it was very direct. I mean, everything was so specific. It was very strange. And I took that as um, something that I had to do. Like you, I was being ordered to do this at this moment. And so I did as I was told. And I went into the bedroom and I was meditating and I just put it out to the universe. You know, obviously I have a message that I'm supposed to be receiving at this moment. I'm open here to receive this message. Please direct me um, with the prompting and nothing happened. I, I, Usually, I don't know if you meditate yourself, but um, sometimes things come to you and whether it be just a feeling or, or maybe somebody's face or a situation might come to you that you need to act upon or just to make a note of. But in this instance, nothing happened. And so I was a little bit perturbed, I have to say, because I was right in the middle of writing my book and I was um, a little bit sidelined and or sidetracked. And so I went back out into the living room and opened my laptop back up again and just got right on Facebook. And right away when I did that, this gentleman instant messaged me on the little chat box. And I didn't really remember him at all. But he just started chatting with me and, and I was like, oh, nice to see, you know, meet you again. And, and as he was chatting, I, I went to his profile because something said to me, where do you know this guy from? And it was so weird because I normally don't like delve further, but for some reason I was prompted to do so. And so I went to his profile and I thought maybe we had a mutual friend or maybe he was a friend of a friend that I grew up with. And, and that was not the case, but we did have a lot of, or not, I should say we didn't have a lot, but we had a few friends in the community, such as Whitley Streamer and, and a few other uh, researchers and, and authors and such um, in the community. And uh, I started looking through his photographs to see if maybe his face looked familiar, like maybe I had met him somewhere, but again, nothing. But as I'm scrolling through the photographs, I came across a photograph of uh, three 
young adults. And I asked him about them. They were absolutely stunning. And he said they were his children. Now, at that point in my life, um, I had just uh, recently broken up with a, a boyfriend. We had been together for quite some time. And I was just ready to move on in my life. I had had a problem with the situation with this boyfriend and the fact that he wasn't an experiencer. And it was really hard to connect a lot of who I was with him. And I was it was very frustrating. Ooh, so let me interrupt. He was not an experiencer. Is well, that what you said? I, okay. He wasn't an experiencer. Um, he wasn't an experiencer in, in the sense that I don't think he really embraced it. Okay. We did have, he did have an experience, but I think that he chalked it up to quote unquote night terrors and a, a dream. He didn't want to believe that it was real. Okay. And do you think it was just because, do you think it was just because of his close association with you that it happened? I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. I'm not sure. Um, what do do we really know? You know, but, but in, in this instance, his family had a lot of um, influence on him, and they were very religious. And they didn't—they didn't want to talk about it. They did not accept me for who I was because of it as well. It was really a, a difficult situation to be in, and it was definitely difficult on the relationship. And as much as I was writing and I was doing a, a radio show, I was very consumed in it, and I think it was really um, pulling us apart um, in a lot of ways and ultimately probably was a, a big reason why we ended up separating and, and terminating the relationship. But um, so I had actually at that point in my life, um, I'm going to say giving it to the universe saying um, the next time you present me with somebody, please let them be. And I had a list. <laughs> so it was like, please let them be an experiencer, um, a parent that was very important. Now, the gentleman I was with did not have children, had never been married. Somebody who was more like-minded, had the same life experience. Um, if he was an experiencer, that would be great. It would be a, a bonus. Somebody who was open, spiritual, um, nurturing, loving, just all the things that I felt that I had been missing. Um, that would just be fulfilling, I think, my life's purpose to be able to do this work because I was so... Just this was my life at that moment, you know, everything. I was just like, it was like the layers of the onion were just peeling away. And I was going, you know, down the rabbit hole as we do doing this research. And I just really felt like I needed to be in a partnership with somebody who could embrace that as well. And and so that being said, um, I was thinking just along those lines. And when he said he was a parent, I went, oh, well, that's great. And I said, how old are they? And he said they were in their 20s. And I also have two daughters who are also in their 20s. And so as I'm scrolling through the photographs again, I come across a photograph of this beautiful um, Asian woman holding a small child. And I just could not take my eyes off of that picture. And I'm telling you, it took my breath away to the point to where I felt like she was speaking to my soul. And that's the best way that I can describe it. She was, I felt like she, her eyes were just staring at me and she was giving me this energy. And I was just, I said, oh my God. And I said, who is this woman in this picture? She's holding a child. Is that your wife? And he said, yes, it is my wife. And and I seem to recall that prior a prior conversation he might have mentioned that she had passed away but at that moment I didn't really remember 
And I said, she's passed away. And he said, yes, she is. And I said, I have a message for you. And I, again, I don't know where that came from, but I felt like she was telling me something to tell him. And she said to me, um, she says, um, she wants you to know that she is so proud of you and that she misses you and that she loves you and that she's all around you all the time. And I said, you know, you're going to see her again someday, don't you? And he said, oh, my God. And we're doing this all in the chat box. He says, oh, my God, you have no idea how much that means to me because I've been thinking about her all day as today would have been her 50th birthday, which was July 7th, 2012. And I know, Mike, how much you pay attention to synchronicity and especially when it comes to numbers. So I do as well. But maybe at that point, it wasn't as strong, but it just seemed like something was happening. And so I was really delving into this further. And I said, well, that's really strange because today is also one of my best friends, one of my best childhood friends, 50th birthday as well. And it's also my wedding anniversary, which was uh, July 7th in um, 1984. And he said, oh, my God, our anniversary was August of 84. And I just thought, well, that's really interesting. And I said, well, uh, so she's 50. And I said, well, I actually, I'm 50 as well. And he said, oh, really, so am I. And he said, in fact, so is my ex-husband. And so we're all born in 1962. <laughs> and I said, well, so just. For the record, I said, well, when is your birthday? And he said, March 26, 1962. Now, I'm saying to you right now, I've never had this experience before meeting somebody coming to this point to where we actually had the same exact birthday. And all of a sudden, it was just like, okay, here we go. It's like, it's like a snowball going downhill very, very quickly. And we just started dishing everything out. Okay, what about this? What about this? And it was just like one thing after another, just sort of layering on each other, coming to find out just, I mean, literally down to the smallest details of our lives were so congruent. So we just started uh, paying attention and we just kept communicating and, um, I'm telling you that the more and more we started delving into it, we had the same books on our bookshelves. We, I mean, literally, we had the same experience with the cover of Whitley Strieber's Communion, where both of us realized upon seeing that cover about our, our lives. Um, we both had um, early childhood experiences that seemed to lead us in the direction to think that these things that had happened were not dreams. Um, because the recall and the situations were definitely more than just dreamlike. Um, I know that you know what I mean when I say that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was that day, you know, where we just literally were so mind blown. And again, he also paid very close attention to synchronicity. Now, he, this is the funny part. He has worked for um, United Parcel Service for, at that point, it was 26 years um, which is a very much of a, you know, it's a Teamsters kind of guy's guy type of, you know, um, job. And um, come to find out, he's also a Reiki master, which I 
almost had to laugh. I said, oh, well, how do your Teamsters buddies, you know, how do they feel about the fact that you do Reiki, you know? And I'm thinking, oh, do they even? But I just felt like, wow, here's this guy, you know, going into that part of his experience by connecting to the healing aspect of who he is and, and the conscious part of possibly the conscious part of the experience. Um, obviously, I would learn about that much later. But Oh, here, let me interject. This is something that I have uh, uh, been noting. I haven't really kept any sort of like documentation. It's not like I have a spreadsheet, you know, listing all this kind of stuff. But uh, that is something that shows up a lot. You talk to someone who's had these experiences and uh, you, have, you know, go down a long list of questions. And one of the things you'll often get back from them is, oh, I'm a Reiki master. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't surprising, but I was very pleased because I myself had a few friends um, that were involved in healing and, and come to find out that one gal that I had actually met uh, when I was living in Hollywood, um, she, we were just talking about her last night. Uh, she did remote Reiki on me and she had forgotten that, that Jack was a, a Reiki master, but she had asked me because she is... Um, which is, uh, there's different levels in, in uh, Reiki, and she's actually taken the level two, which is doing remote Reiki. And I remember having a conversation with her because she was paying attention to what I was doing with uh, my blog and with radio. And, and I remember one day we were sitting down and she kind of was uh, nervous to approach me, but she said, Suzanne, I, I really would like to talk to you uh, because I have some questions for you, but I don't want to do it in public. Can we please can I come to your house? I really want to ask you some questions. And she wouldn't tell me what it was about. And so uh, she comes over one day and, and we made some lunch and she said, you know, I, I, th- I feel like I'm not from here and I feel like I don't belong. And I've been listening to a lot of your radio shows and been reading your blog. And I, I really resonate with a lot of the things that you're talking about, but I've never been able to connect with anybody and I feel like I can trust you. And so she started just laying it out. And I, you know, a lot of people don't really know how to really verbalize it because they're just learning themselves about, they're having their own awakening on their own time. And I could tell right away that um, she was an experiencer, but maybe didn't really know how to address it. And so the way that she was trying to figure out about her experience was going into healing. And so she started doing Reiki, started reading about crystals. She is really, really connected with um, her higher self. And upon that is now finding out and, and being able to put her puzzle pieces together, almost um, backtracking, you know, taking uh, the consciousness part of where she is and now really read it. I'm sorry, relating it to, um, the rest of her life and how she's gotten to where she is now. So very interesting. It is interesting. interesting. Um, where's Jack now at this moment? Yeah. He's at work. And where are you? I am in the den in Rhode Island. And didn't, (laughs) didn't all this start in California, all this back and forth stuff? Yeah, it did. Um, I was living in, I lived in California my whole life. You know, it was just the weirdest thing. I, you know, Jack and I kept communicating and we literally were speaking on a daily basis. We decided at some point, I believe it was in August, that we would agree to have a Skype conversation. Neither one of us had seen our our faces. Oh, interesting. Ah. Yeah, so um, 
I mean, there was just something, I felt a, a definite sense of urgency with him that I don't know what the connection was, but I felt very compelled that, that um, we were going to be doing something together. And I wasn't really quite sure what it was. And uh, I had told him that I had agreed to be a speaker at the uh, very first Experiencers Speak conference in, uh, in Maine, in Gorham, Maine, in 2012. And as our friendship grew and our communications continued, he really felt the urge and the need to meet me. And he had said to me that he felt that he wanted to drive up to Maine to um, see my presentation and to connect with me. And Which isn't that far. It's Yeah, it's about a three-and-a-half-hour drive from, from Rhode Island, so it's not that Come, bad. Coming from the west, yeah, that's, that's not that far, yep. Yeah, it's not. So um, at first I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't know because, you know, I'd never spoken in front of a, a live audience before, and, and I was nervous about that in a way and, and very nervous about the prospect of him being there in the audience as well. Um, but after a while I thought, you know what? I think it's just meant to be. Um, there was, I felt there was a deeper connection. And we tried to figure out what this familiarity was. And so what we decided to do was, based on the fact that we both had had lifelong experiences, we decided to share photographs of each other, of ourselves, to each other, and see if maybe we recognize each other. Because I had had um, an experience on a craft, and I knew that I had seen other um, teenagers or young children around my age. And this would have been probably what, in the, in the 70s of some point? Yeah, that was be in, like around 1971. Okay, oh, so you would have been nine years old. Right, like 90, 71, 72, right around that area. And, um, you know, as you and I have both um, heard stories of people having these experiences where they do recognize somebody, that wasn't really a far-fetched notion at that point. Yeah. So... Okay. I, I thought, you know what, I'm going down this path and who knows, you know, it would be really incredible if this was the case since I felt such a connection with him. So you actually said, hey, we may have <laughs> met on crafts, let's exchange photographs when we were younger. Yes, exactly. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. So we, I remember going in the other room, grabbing all my photographs, finding my childhood pictures, my infant pictures. Um, and every time he showed me one, I'm like, nope, I don't recognize that. Nope, nope, nope. And then I held up a photograph of myself when I was in junior high. I believe I was 14. So it must have been in eighth grade of me dressed up for Halloween. And the best I can describe it is I was wearing, um, I was almost wearing I would say a uniform of one of the beings that I actually saw on a craft whom I called, I refer to as the emperor. And I was wearing a, a dark navy blue uh, leotard with, you know, the full like bodysuit with the leggings and all that. I had a cape on. I had a an upside down triangle on my forehead. I had wrapped... Now, don't laugh, but I had wrapped my hair in tinfoil, not wrapping tinfoil on my head, but like taking the hair almost like a crown. And I had a scepter where 
I held that at my side and I had a like a silver belt on and I had a an amulet around my neck that I had actually made that was silver with a big round green stone on it. And when I showed him that photograph, his words to me were, oh my God. And I said, what? And he said he had, he felt like somebody had punched him in the stomach. And I said, what? And he said, oh my God, oh my God, I am so sorry. I said, why are you sorry? What are you saying? And he's, he best describes it now is he felt like he recognized me from an experience that he had had. And I completely freaked out at that moment because nobody's ever said that to me before. And I asked him, I said, can you please explain further? And he says, I don't know exactly. He says, but all I remember is that I was so sorry that I couldn't help you, whatever was going on with you. And I said, what do you mean? He says, I, you know, I cannot even describe it any better than I am right now. He says, this is just what I'm getting right now. It's like a, like a psychic flash that you get or like a screen memory that just pops in your head for that one moment. And that's exactly what came when he saw the photograph of me. And he says, I felt like I was there for, to support you during a situation, but I was not able to help what was happening to you. That I was just basically witnessing something unfolding with you. Okay. So, and, uh, and you eventually ended up in, uh, you've, you, you're now living with him. I am now living with him. So what had happened is that we just got to the point to where we just were like smitten, totally in love. And he basically said to me that he was coming to Maine and he invited me to come back to stay with him for a couple of weeks after the conference. And this would have been in New England and Maine, which so that that works out well. That's the one time of the year that it's pretty darn nice there. <laughs> which is true. Yeah, the one time, right? <laughs> As I'm learning. But um No, it can be so, nice other times. Yeah, yeah, well, that, uh, it is. yeah, yeah. But uh what he had said was at first he said, Come visit, and then he said, Um, I, I wanna be with you and if you would feel the same, then would you consider moving here with me? And obviously this is quite a, a shock at first to hear that, you know. Wait, wait a minute, this is before you even met. This is before we even met. Okay. Yes. And I said, okay, well, you know what? Why don't we just uh, just meet? And I agreed to come back with him. And I said, you know, he had his children still living with him at the time. And I, being a parent, knew that that's a, a very important thing, you know, children always first. And then I would consider, obviously, at that point, um, whether or not I would decide to stay. And the funny thing is I ended up coming here for two weeks and I ended up staying for six. So if that says anything, then. And then eventually moved in full time. Yes, I did. I went back to LA and I stayed there for a few more weeks and packed my stuff and moved back on Christmas day of 2012. There you have it. Yeah. That's so interesting. I was so just as the audience knows, I, I was following all of this mostly along the way because you and I had become sort of pals to chat back and forth either on Skype or on um, 
the Facebook chat box and such. So, um, yeah, you and I have never met, but it seems like we've spent a lot of hours talking to each other. So, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. A few details I'd never heard there before. Oh, wow. Well, I'm glad I could share them then. <laughs> good, good. Oh, here's it. So, um, this is a kind of a question. I think I know the answer. Did this whole, the whole thing you just told, this whole new chapter of your life, all everything you just talked about now, did this feel orchestrated? Yes. In the beginning, we really felt um, that it might have been orchestrated. He he felt, like I did, um, that we, almost like there was a sense of urgency that we needed to be doing something. We almost felt that um, we need to keep the ball rolling or, or just do something to move forward in, in um and the the consciousness part of the experience, I think, is is the best way I can put it. Um, together, so whatever it was, we didn't know, but we were definitely willing to um, join together and and embark on this journey. So, as far as uh, what we feel now, as far as it being orchestrated, um, definitely have a feeling that uh, we have met before this incarnation here on this earth and and feel very strongly about that. Um, One of the reasons being for myself is that when I was very young, I asked my mother quite a few times uh, where my brother was. And she was very puzzled by this because I didn't have a brother. I only had a sister. And I almost felt like I had a brother that either had passed away, um, had been given up for adoption or what have you. But she, again, assured me that that was not the case. And I do have a memory of um, me. It might have been a dream. I I saw me holding hands with another boy um, side by side, and there was a huge light in front of us. So I was actually looking at our silhouette. Um, being illuminated by this bright light. So all I saw were like our our silhouettes and then these rays of light coming around us. And I always felt like I had a brother. So um, we both have uh, read Dolores Cannon's works and think along the same lines that she does, that um, there's definitely a connection um, with us possibly choosing this path here. Um, being part of this experience as well as um, the connection with the ET experience and and doing the work that we're doing. So definitely having the same path. Um, we, felt, we felt very kindred in that respect. And, and who knows? How do we know? But we felt very strongly that that was the case. So as far as it being orchestrated, we might have been the, the conductors of the orchestra. You know, who knows? Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you would have orchestrated it like uh, your higher self ahead of time, your previous life, your soul incarnation. Yeah, so it's hard to know. I get, I get you. Um, uh, earlier on, you said you were working on your book. This isn't a biography or an autobiography about your experiences? Yes, it is. Um, as you work on this, uh, you know, obviously you're putting this down and you're organizing it and you're, you're having a chance to look at your own experiences in a way that you probably never have before. Uh, anything emerging, any kind of like pattern, any kind of epiphany that as you work on this? Yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, at first it was more to me, um, something from almost like a a healing or more therapy as I'm sure that you could, um, agree with a lot of us writing about our own experiences. It is very therapeutic because, you know, most of our lives, um, 
or most of my life, I have to say, um, I've, I've kept this to myself. And, and the only way that I actually could deal with it is writing about it. The difficult part of it is for me that, that I'm writing about this. And as I'm uh, writing it, I'm also evolving. So it's hard to uh, for me to keep it um, just what it was, because I, I feel like as I'm still learning about these things, I'm, I'm actually uh, changing the experience from almost a physical aspect um, to more of a consciousness um, part of the um, experience with, uh, you know, for example, I don't like the word or the term abductee anymore. And that's changing, you know, so I don't. Oh, let me that, interrupt. What do you use? What's the term you use? Well, experiencer, I think that's just a little bit more, it's a broader um, term. You know, you're not, when I think of abductee, I feel that it's such a, a negative connotation to the experience. And I don't necessarily believe that the whole experience itself is negative. Sure, sure. I mean, I use the term abductee all the time, and I use it just because it's the term we have. You know, like, right. like um, it's the one that's already in place, and I don't like it, but I use it all the time. I write it all the time. I say it all the time. Um, but I agree. Yeah, it is. It is a heavily loaded term. It is, and and you know, I think that it's when you think about being taken against your will. Yes, there is that. But then again, what do we know about our own free will? How do we know that we didn't agree to this? And so that's why that has changed for me. You know, if I've agreed to this, then I'm not being taken. I've actually agreed to be a willing participant in the experience. But it's really hard when you hear all these negative, um, you know, testimonies and testimonials where people have, you know, obviously horrible things happen to them. And, and yeah, tra- traumatic, traumatic, tra- dark, right? bleak, right? scary stuff. And I, so there's two things. Obviously, there's... People who have extremely blissful experiences on one end of the spectrum, um, you know, angelic, magical, uh, spiritual, transcendent. And on the other end of the same spectrum is people who are having nightmare experiences, terrible, traumatic, you know, hellish at the hands of demons, basically. So on one end of the spectrum, you have demons. On the other end, you have angels. Right. So those are also very loaded words, but you get what I'm saying. Um my sense is that both are true, you know, both are very true. Let me put it that way. And that um, I think it's one of the things that bugs me is that within the community, there is a, oh, I just think that, the, well, community, however, this community, it's like snake pit might be a better term for it sometimes. But um, <laughs> with uh, that people are so, I want to say, incapable of juggling two thoughts in their mind at the same time that they will only say that it's all wonderful or they'll only say that it's all evil. Right. You know, it's only good or it's only bad. And um, I think it is much, much more scrambled up than that. And, um, and I don't understand why some people have these blissful experiences. I don't understand why others have the negative experiences, but, but that is what's being reported. And I have to trust the reporting and not, edit it just because I, I like one better than the other. I mean, I quite honestly, I would love it. I would love it if it was all wonderful. I would, that's, that's how I want it to be. I, 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 I could cherry pick the evidence and make it be that way in a, you know, in a, in a, what do you call it? A a non-objective book. Um, but that's not, I mean, what I would, I would have to purposely eliminate, you know, half the data in order to get there. Right. Um, you know, it's, 
it's much um, as life is, you know, it's not always going to be, you know, a, a bowl of cherries. So sure, sure, yeah. But so um, I think that it's true, like you said, with with anything, and and I think, you know, we don't really understand maybe why the why, you know, people are having these things done to them, but. I do believe that it's for a reason, but it's not maybe something that we can actually comprehend um, in the in our own human terms. I agree. I agree. You put it beautifully because I mean it's it's something we cannot comprehend. And I am so like how to say it, you know, you, um, you know, uh, like you have a little kids book, like uh, Peter Rabbit, and you open the book, and there's Peter Rabbit. And he's got a little vest on. He sits at his little table in his little rabbit hutch, and he drinks tea and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He's got a little bow tie on and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so you're anthropomorphizing the rabbit, right? Mm-hmm. So you're putting the little mm-hmm. rabbit in human clothes, and he talks, and he has these little adventures. Now, rabbits don't wear little vests and <laughs> drink tea in their hutches, but you know, you can you can sort of follow that, right? You open the little book. It's easy to follow the story along. Now, I feel that is what is happening. There's a huge swath of the UFO research community and people who tap into this who see the aliens as us. In essence, they are wearing little vests and drinking tea. You know, they are anthropomorphized versions of us. So people will extrapolate. They'll say, well, the agenda is that they're trying to do this. And then they'll frame it in such human terms uh, and I think that is a terrible mistake it is. because, you know, the, the alien has a bunch of definitions in Webster's and the one that uh, I have been using, I'm paraphrasing from memory, alien, one of the definitions is so different as to be unknowable. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a more accurate definition than, than uh, you know, I, I just, I don't want to make that mistake of treating the entities as just us maybe a little further down the timeline, you know, maybe they have a little fancier spaceships than we have, you know, so, uh, but that, that would be a terrible mistake in my opinion. And it is a terrible mistake because it's happening all the time. Well, right. I, you know, I'm listening to what you're saying now and, and in, in light of um, the experience and, and one thing that I want to talk about as far as our perception of even what a craft is, in the sky. Okay. And why we're seeing it. Maybe it's not necessarily the craft itself, but the fact that it's there, but why is it there? You know, so go going beyond the, you know, the obvious when, when we see a craft in the sky and we say, Oh, wow, look at that up there. Well, that's really weird. Okay, cool. Wow. Oh my gosh. Take a picture, you know, and, and we're so just like distracted by the actual craft itself, but there's some sort of a fear element also. You know, I'm thinking about disclosure now, and the reason why I'm saying this is for a reason. The the actual feeling that we have about whether or not we're going to have direct communication, there's too much fear involved. All we want to do is send up our helicopters, send up our fighter jets, and shoot this thing down, you know, so as far as us being open to having this communication, I really don't think that we're going to have communication in that way. I think that the communication is going to come from, you know, with experiencers and, and because it's safe and that we're open. 
and that we embrace it. We don't look at it with fear. Um, we look at it as um, something that is an evolution of what is to be. Um, I, I don't know why I just brought that up. You know, we, we go to these conferences, you and I talked about this, and, you know, there's definitely a nuts and bolts aspect to it that people want to hear about because it can, they can, you know, look at the scientific dynamics of the experience and be able to say, okay, X, Y, and Z. Well, so you know? what, what you are describing is a subset of the population and they are referred to as men. <laughs> and I'm not joking. I mean, I'm serious. Correct. Like, you know, You're absolutely like correct. Men love to talk about things, you know, like two guys will get together. They'll talk about the, you know, the engine of their truck. Two women will get together and they'll talk about emotions and feelings. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm obviously, you know, generalizing, generalizing. but exactly. um, you get where I'm going, coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you had a story one time about meeting the head of MUFON LA. <laughs> at a Roger Lear benefit. This was mm -hmm. at a, a, like a presentation and like a, you know, there was, so it would have been, uh, you know, an audience in sort of a conference setting. So how did that go meeting him? What you, did you talk about anything? Oh, I'm I, I've heard the story. So I'm <laughs> prepping you. Sorry. Funny you should say that. Funny. Mike. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Because yeah. I did have a very interesting exchange with this gentleman. Well, share it with us. Why don't I you? absolutely will. So I was really excited to be there to see Roger Lear's presentation, and I had actually met him many years earlier in 1994 when I lived in Camarillo, so I hadn't seen him for years. And after his presentation, I spoke with him, and, and I looked around the room, and I thought to myself, how many people in here are like me? And I don't know if you've had that experience, but... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've been rounding the number up higher and higher and <laughs> higher the longer I do this, so... Right, right. So, you know, I, I just thought, what would it be like to approach this gentleman and maybe suggest that the possibility of having a presentation um, of experiencers... And this would be the gentleman that's the would be the head of MUFON LA. That is correct. And... Um, so I went and introduced myself, and I, I told him that I, I was writing a blog. I was a blogger, and I wrote about the abductee uh, experience. And I said, you know, I, I know because I have so many people writing to me that there are a lot more people out there like me who are just now starting to come out with their experiences. And it's a really great uh, presentation uh, to help other people who might be needing support. I said, I'm sure this room would be packed. And I said, would that be something you'd be interested in? He basically looked at me and just kind of shook his head like, yeah, well, you know what? I really don't think so. It's like he would not have it. And I was absolutely perplexed. And it was at that moment that I realized, wow. So basically they're catering to a certain audience and, and everything else is just, it doesn't exist. Basically, I was a nobody. And, and these people weren't having these experiences is what he was saying to me by, by his disinterest in, um, you know, having an experiencer's um, presentation, presentation was actually hysterical because speaking in Maine at the Experiencers Speak conference was quite the opposite of what he would be anticipating with you know, doing the same thing there. So I, I just was really kind of miffed at that point, and I realized how. Uh, Wait a minute! Someone totally like ignored your, you know, basically what would be your identity. I would have to say I was completely shut down. Okay, sure enough. Okay, Bye. <laughs> so so an experience. So let me just get this straight. So someone who's had what is quite probably 
the abduction experience, was ignored by someone from MUFON? Uh, that is a correct statement. Just, just, okay. That's very interesting. For the record. For the record. Okay. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm, what I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm being purposely sort of catty here, by, but, uh, okay. you know, that has, that has been my direct experience also. That MUFON as a whole, I mean, there's obviously individuals that work at MUFON that are doing their own uh, research and probably doing very good research and oftentimes doing abduction research. But the, as the, the organization as a whole is absolutely anemic Mm-hmm. towards the, the, the abduction phenomena. And I mean, that example is just perfect, which is an example I've had where I remember where I was sort of starting to come to terms with my own weirdness. This would have been around 2008. Right. Probably. Well, well, I will have to amend, amend this though. Um, since that time, MUFON LA is no longer uh, associated with um, this gentleman. And I'm not quite sure exactly what's going on with them. But he has now started a new uh, paranormal group, and so it's not attached to MUFON at all, so it might be different now. So that being said, I'm going to have to check into that, so things might be changing. Okay, maybe, they might be, yep. Maybe yeah. he had a change of heart, maybe... Maybe it was your conversation with him. I'm sorry? Maybe it was <laughs> right. you, your conversation. Well, it took a long time then for that to sink in. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting. It's just fine. I just find that there is a defined split in the community, and one side is dealing with, you know, military records and and uh, lights in the sky, and looking at photographs of flying saucers and measuring burn marks in a farmer's field, and another side is is talking about their direct interaction with these with these uh, entities. Now, I will say the 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 experiencer side, the abduction side, is a total mess. I mean, it is madness. It is so complicated. It is so hard to keep your, you know, your head above water as far as how to make sense of this swirling uh, mishmash of contradictory data, you know. So so the act of trying to look into the abduction stuff is messy and very challenging. So so I get that, but ignoring it is is to me is is I mean these there are very real people having this experience. And, right. and nobody wants to be ignored. That's true. And, you know, it's something that is a huge lesson, I think, in life, in looking at anything. I think that it's, it's very complex. It's, it's really difficult to uh, convey a lot of these experiences to somebody who's very left-brained and... You know, you don't have any um, anything on paper to show them. You know, you could maybe have a drawing or or record your experience. You know, or have a regression or what have you. But and, then and people that- who see lights in the sky don't have any recording either. I mean, they basically, you know, Mufan loves that shit. You know, they're like all over when someone says, "Oh, I saw this thing. It was in this part of the sky. If I held my hand out at arm's length, it would have been the size of a nickel." You know, they're all over that stuff. You know, so right, right. But that, but then again, so what do you do with that information? What, what do you do? You, get, you say that, um, that's my problem in a way, is that you could spend, you know, let's say someone saw, you know, two people saw a UFO, they took a still photograph of it, um, and then it flew off, right? So then you interview those two people, you go to the site, you call the airport, you examine the photograph, you could spend $100 million investigating that one case. And at the end, you would get your conclusion at the end of your 600-page document, and you would say, the object is unknown, Right, exactly. And then what? And then what exactly? Then you go out and you send another MUFON investigator and you do it all over again. (laughs) And somewhere out there, there are file cabinets just 
spilling over with exactly the same case over and over and over again. Yeah, so it's a challenge. I don't know. I mean, I'm not interested in little lights in the sky. You know, I mean, obviously they're 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 of interest, but um, I just think it's it's uh, you know all you're going to do is is end up buying more filing cabinets. Right. And that takes money. Well, the uh, I mean, it all takes money you know, to research this in any meaningful way, like anything. I mean, you want to research, you know, bumblebees or something like that. It's going to take some money. Uh, so, so there is no money in this and nobody has it. No one's offering it up. So this stuff isn't being researched. So it is up to the, it is, now if I get on my high horse here, you can tell I'm getting all frustrated. It's up <laughs> to like, it is my sense is to ignore everything from the top down and then the focus on everything from the bottom up with the advent of the internet. There is a, an outlet for people like you and I, I think we're both doing something very similar and I'm doing it in a, I mean, initially I, I said when I started my blog and I've said this before it, I felt like I was compelled by an outside source to do this stuff. Now, I don't know. It doesn't feel that way. It feels more like I'm obsessed and I have to do it. Like it's like a, it's like a, uh, a compulsion or an addiction in a way to document this stuff uh, and to make sure that it's available for others to see. And I'm not, I don't know why I'm doing that. Is it a sense of passion or is it a sense of madness or am I being directed by, you know, is there some is there invisible flying saucer above the house right now, you know, zapping me, telling me to do podcasts? Yeah. You know, and, and you probably speak for a lot of us who have just, I mean, I don't know how many people I have heard who've just basically just dropped everything, whether it be, you know, being a a teacher or going to school or or whatever, and they, you know, going for their degree or their doctorate, and they just drop their lives and devoted their whole lives to the subject. And obviously, it's not for monetary uh, gain. Yes. Because nobody's making any money doing this. And anybody who's listening to this interview right now, who thinks otherwise is hugely mistaken because, you know, it's not about that at all. I've spent more money trying to get this message out than anything, you know, and, and, Oh yeah. Yeah. Keep your day job. Exactly. 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 Keep your day jobs, people. Yeah. Um, Hey, here's what happens when I do these interviews. I interview a person and we have a great interview. It's very formal. We're very pragmatic. We talk like we're on a, you know, we're on the, you know, on a CNN or something like that. And then I say, hey, thanks. It was a great interview and the, and the interview. And then right after that, we keep on talking and it gets super light and super sort of uh, conversational and sort of jocular. So um, let's end this interview. Okay. Okay. Sounds interview's right. over. Hey, Kate, hey. before, before, <laughs> before you leave, let's talk. Okay. I have a couple more questions. Okay. <laughs> Hey, um, now I remember you told a story one time um, about meeting tall people in a store or seeing them. Oh, yeah. If, that's right. I would love to hear that in a very conversational, jocular way. As in, don't you dare sound like you're on CNN. So. <laughs> and gosh, it was really weird. I, um, I was, it was the day before I moved um, to Rhode Island. Wait a minute, really? Okay, so that's the first time I've ever heard that, that part of the story. Yeah, so the yeah. day before you changed yeah. your life completely, yes, keep yes, going, to yes. move in with someone who is a UFO abductee. Okay, keep on going. Right, right. Or an experience or whatever term you want right, to use. So, right. yep. so. so I, uh, it was Christmas Eve, and my daughters and I had gone out to brunch, and it was going to be the last time I saw them. And so super emotional, you know, and super excited at the same time. And we decided to do a little last minute Christmas shopping. So we went, I lived in uh, Hollywood at the time. So we went down Sunset Boulevard 
And we went to uh, a store called H&M, which is a department store. And we're just goofing around, looking through the racks. And, and the girls are trying on these big furry coats. And I turn around and in walks these, I mean, I'm telling you, giant. Um, they look like a mother and a, a father and a daughter. And the daughter, she looked like she was probably about 14, 13 or 14, but she was, I'm saying, over six feet tall. And the parents looked like they were close to seven feet tall. I mean, my ex-husband is 6'4", and they were clearly taller than him. And it was so, I could not stop staring at them. And they were just walking around the store, and I remember going over to my daughter's, and, and I kind of, at the corner of my mouth, I said, hey, you guys, do those guys look really tall to you? And they looked at them and they're like, uh, yeah, but you know, they're just probably just tall, whatever, you know, no big deal. But I felt like it was a really big deal. Like I had really felt like I'd never seen anybody that tall before in my life. I mean, maybe like a basketball star or what have you, but you know, they look Caucasian and, and, you know, they looked very, I want to say, you know, I felt like they were European. Don't even ask me why. I just felt like they were not American. And so they're, you know, I'm trying not to stare. <laughs> and so they're doing their shopping. And I walked to the back of the store. And I remember I was looking in the men's sweaters. And about two seconds after that, I look out the back door. And in walks this other gentleman. And there was something really weird about this guy. He, well, he was, had no hair. He was bald. No offense, Mike. But he had... um you know, either a shaved head or he had no hair. And he was wearing like a, kind of like a silverish, like a Nehru jacket, which seemed clearly not like the fashion of the time, but like really like a nice, like a suit kind of material. And he just looked at me and he nodded his head down and just kept walking into the store. And I thought, oh my God. God, who is that? I mean, he just did not seem like a, I don't know. He just didn't seem, I don't want to say he didn't seem human, but maybe that was just my own imagination running away with me at that moment. Okay, okay. The tall people. So you said he nodded his head down. So he was kind of looking down at the floor, like as if to avoid your gaze from that. No, he was, you know, nodding like, hello, like people dip their head and keep eye contact. Okay. So he was walking through the store, keeping eye contact? Acknowledging me as he walked past me, like, Hello, or a good day. And how tall was he? He was not as tall. He was probably about six foot five, maybe. Six foot five is still pretty tall. But I mean, compared to these other people, you know what I'm saying? Very interesting. Okay, keep going. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, literally, he walked into the store, and I'm like, I've got to find my, no, my, my, if I tell my daughters this again, they're going to think I'm absolutely out of my mind, you know? Now look at this guy, right? So, um, he was in the store and then I could not find him. I don't know where he went. I didn't see him walk up. Maybe he walked out the front door. I don't know. But yeah, it was just a very odd experience. Huh. Anything leading up to that? Like any kind of, well, obviously leading up to it, you're just about to move to, to, uh, to New England to run. Yeah, the next day. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. That's so interesting. I'd never heard that little part of the story that makes it that much more intense. Wow, I guess I forgot to share that with you. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. 
here's a, so if you've had you've, you which you talk about in Peter Slattery's show, you've had your experiences interacting with these entities on board craft. It sounds like. Um, have you ever had hypnotic regression? No, I haven't. Okay, and why not? Just out of curiosity. You know. <sighs> I mean, I, I think it's a mixed bag. I think there's, you know, yeah, pluses and minuses. I, I'm mixed up about it. I've never had a successful hypnosis session. You know, I just never, I guess, for me, I, I have a lot of things that I do remember, you know, and, and I think it, I almost feel like it's enough for me. Like, I, I, since I've met Jack, things have come up, certain things where now I'm I'm, I'm kind of actually questioning it because... I've actually had a few of like psychic flashes lately. Give me an example. You got to give me an example. I the other night I was playing this word game on my phone, and it was just I'm as I'm doing this, it's it's time. So you have to like put down as many words as you can in like two minutes. And as I'm doing this and putting these words together, I got this flash of an experience that I never remembered before, and it was just. Literally, it was off to my left, whatever that means. It was like like I saw it in my peripheral vision in my mind on the left-hand side of my brain. I don't even know why I'm describing it like that. But it was something about something where I was being whisked off to something and I was either being either like changing my identity or like there was this, it happened very fast. And it was like I said, it was like a picture frame. And the, the feeling of, of identity came in, the feeling of um, like there were other people involved. And I'm like, oh my God. And I remember, and I'm finishing this game. I said like 30 seconds left and, and Jack said, what? And I said, oh my God, I just had a flash of like something that I have no, I don't know where it came from, but I'm, you know, awake. It's like one o'clock in the morning. I'm, you know, it's like Sunday night. I'm just sitting here doing my thing. And, and so I know that there are, that that almost told me that there are things that I don't remember that are, and it's, it's like a puzzle piece that maybe needs to be put into place for whatever reason. But I've always felt for me that I know that they're going to come to me organically. And, and one of the reasons is well, organically, what do you mean organically? Just naturally the way that they're supposed to present themselves in their time. Okay, so it's not like you're going to have to beat a drum and say, like, you know, I want it. <laughs> burn you know, some incense. And <laughs> burn some incense and get the laser beam out in the yard and stuff like that. Okay, yeah. So. No. No, I just mean, you know, not prompted. And um, so I, I, I really just, I have to admit, there is a fear element as well. Because I do have some feelings that might, that some of the experiences are negative. Sure. Yeah. And and I almost don't want to know what they are. And I don't think that if I knew them, they're going to make any things any better. Then, you know, they might actually uh, be more traumatic to remember them. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. That's a fear of mine. I mean, I feel like I've read enough literature and stuff like that to know that if I went under hypnosis, I would, you know, stuff could be freaking scary. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the thing is now Jack, on the other hand, wants to have regression. And, and one of the reasons why he wants to is based on that photograph that he saw of me that he recognized. And he wants to remember why. And I realize now that by him doing so, it's going to make me remember something maybe that happened that maybe I don't want to. That's right, because he said he was, he was felt sad that he couldn't help you. Right. 
and we've, I mean, you don't have to dig too deep into the literature to like, you know, there's some creepy ass stuff going on out there. No doubt. No doubt. So, you know, and again, you know, what if it's not, um, what if the person isn't qualified and you hear horror stories, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons why for myself, I almost feel like the things are supposed to be remembered, like I said, organically for me is that when I had an experience on the craft, um, this being that I had communication with had said to me telepathically that um, I will remember when it is time. And I've heard that over and over again from other experiencers as well. And I took that as that they should happen when it's time, that I will remember things. And I ha- and that's exactly how this process has been for me. And it's been that way for me too. I think if I had been hit I mean, it seemed like my stuff started in 2006, and it has just been going one step at a time. Uh, if it goes too fast, I freak out. If it, you know, if it goes too slow, I kind of think like, "Well, I haven't had an experience. I haven't had a synchronicity for a while," um, and I kind of pine for it. Um, mm-hmm. But it, you know, these little one thing after another has been happening. A page has been turning one after another. Whether I'm turning the page or someone else is turning the page, if the, the book is pre-written, I don't know. But if I feel like if I like if I was at the place I I am at now instantly, you know, like if I, if I was slammed with all this information all at once, I would have broken, I would have cracked. Right. You know, that's funny because I was thinking about this right now. When we're talking about regression. You know, it's almost like dissecting the experience by having um, regression and then going down that road of remembering what exactly happened. For example, like Travis Walton or, you know, I mean, they're so vivid and there's just like a lot of information that's quite unsettling. But once you get this information and it's all written down on paper and audio tape, what have you, again, it's like, then what do you do with it? I mean, so you learn this about, does it make it even more difficult to decipher? Um, Or is everybody waiting for that one person to have a regression that's going to have all the answers? Uh, Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, like, I mean, what is the, you know, in a funny way, like I'm, you know, like I want to exhaust this end of it you know, before I take the next step and go to a regression. I tried it a few times. I feel like I was just so freaking scared each time that there was no way I was going under. Uh, and, you know, just exhaust this sort of exploration. And then when that feels exhausted, when that, when it feels like I've, you know, I've come to the end of that rope, then I'll, I'll attempt it. Yeah. Well, how do you, I was going to ask you that. So, so you've had regression before. And Three times, it, yeah, which has yeah. never gone under, except I feel like a, I mean, each, a couple things came up when I was regressed by Bud. Um, and those were, those didn't have anything to do with the UFO stuff. They had to do with like other stuff around it. You know, like there was an event that took place in a suburban street where I grew up and I was like, he's like, okay, imagine the street, you know, and like, and the, the area. And I remembered this gate, you know, like, because it started at the high school football field, which was very close to my home. And then I walked to get home and I remembered that gate and it was very weird and strange for me because by the time I got to high school, this, I would have been 12 years old. I didn't get to high school until I guess 14 or so, you know, they had changed something. They had moved something around. So that gate was gone. There was a parking lot there, a big asphalt parking lot where the gate used to be. And so like that gate, like we hadn't even entered my consciousness until, you know, Bud said, okay, imagine the setting. And I saw this gate and that was very interesting to me because I saw it so clear. I knew exactly what it was. And I was like, wow, uh, there's a few little details like that, you know, um, that didn't have anything to do with just like a setting, you know, kind of thing that, that was very impressive for me. Um, and, but I had learned nothing new as far as the actual events themselves. 
But don't you think that just hearing that you did remember certain things, it leads me to believe that you actually were under hypnosis and you, you were able to recall certain things. Well, I was certainly able to recall certain things, but none of them that had to do with the details of the events. Um, I was able to recall, you know, it's interesting. What I was able to recall is stuff that I was almost too embarrassed to say out loud. Ah, uh, right. You know, there was a few things that happened. Mm, there was one event where there was where I saw five entities out the back window um, of my house when I was living in Maine and near Gorham, Maine, actually right near the experience your speak thing, probably about nine miles away from where that conference was held. Um, I had seen five gray aliens. We've talked about this. I've talked about this a zillion times on this podcast, but um, what I was able to bring out in hypnosis was something I pretty much knew, except I was kind of embarrassed to say it out loud, but I said it because, you know, I was kind of in such a pleasant, relaxed state. And what I said was, oh, they're here. And the implication is like, when I first saw them, like the thought was like, oh, they're back again. Mm-hmm. That was very clear. Like, oh, they're back again. Here they are. They're, they're here again. And I had not been able to, to voice that. But I do actually, I clearly remembered that, but I was kind of just too embarrassed to say it. So there's a few little details like that that emerged, but nothing new. I mean, I remembered the events of the, the you know, what I saw at the back window, just exactly like, you know, I had been retelling them. So, you know, in, in I, there was a couple other things where Bud was trying to get me through some stuff. And, and you know, there was a point on the sidewalk where I was as a 12-year-old boy with this other person. And, and he was like, okay, get to the sidewalk and this event happens. What happens? And I'm like, mm. uh, nothing. It's like, what do you mean nothing? I'm like, well, it's like a freeze frame on a videotape. It's like we're just frozen there. We're just standing there. And it's like, okay, both you and him together? Like, yeah. And he's like, okay, let's – and so he went through all these little tricks. Like, okay, let's try to imagine we're watching it on television. You know, what does it look like? Uh, it looks like we walk to the spot and then the television seizes up. Okay, now let's try it from uh, – like, look above. Let's pretend like you're you're floating above the whole scene with like a godlike image of everything. What do you see? I see we walk to that point in the sidewalk and we freeze. Nothing's happening. And he could not get me back. And it was funny because he was trying all these techniques that he'd obviously tried before. And I have this all on videotape. And and, uh, and finally we just moved on. And later at the end of the day, you know, I said goodbye to him. And I was, you know, he lives in, uh, he actually has his own building. But it's, you know, basically like a New York City apartment. And so there he was on the, you know, saying goodbye to me at the door. And I, um, you know, I gave him a big hug. And he kind of patted me on the back and he said, listen, I've been doing this for a while and I've seen some, I've seen some people who are blocked and you are blocked. Mm. And, um, and some people, I've told that story before and some people have said, ooh, he shouldn't have said that. It's like a leading thing. You know, mm. he, and I was like, oh, come on. He's like, whatever. I felt so – like I felt like he trusted me and I trusted him. And that played out with the fact that he would just say something so straight to me and I appreciated it greatly. Right, right. Well, then how do you feel now? I mean as far as – like if you were going to have uh, regression, what I mean, would you do it um, to find answer? I mean, what would you do with it? I mean, for you, is it? Would it? I don't know. I mean, further I mean, down a horrible be, rabbit hole. Do you think it would benefit you? I don't know. I, it's very, you know, like I've talked to folks that I've actually talked to. You know, I don't think I've ever talked to anyone who's had a bad negative experience under hypnosis. I've heard, I've heard. Uh, skeptics who think, oh, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have hypnosis because it'll open up a trap door and you'll go mad. Um, there's probably those of stories course. out there, 
Right. Uh, I've never talked to anyone who's had those. I've also talked to a lot of people who've had regression and then afterwards said, you know, I didn't trust it. Mm. I saw this stuff. I'm not sure whether to believe it or not. So I thought that was very wise, you know, like, okay, they're not, you know, people aren't so gullible like the skeptics want to say. I think there's there's very good reasons to be cautious of using hypnosis. And I, I suspect there's probably, you know, good techniques and bad techniques and good good uh, researchers and, and not so good researchers. But, um, you know, I, I can't be so dogmatic as to say like, no, you should never have anything. Anytime, you, you know, hypnosis is added to the, to the mix, it's terrible. And, um, you know, there's some folks out there that, that are sort of convinced that the entirety of the UFO abduction lore only emerges mm-hmm. under hypnosis uh, in the sense that the books that like Bud Hopkins writes and Dave Jacobs writes and and John Mack writes, the only thing that's out there is the the transcription from the hypnosis session, and that those play a part certainly uh, in those books in a way. But I I've talked to so many people, almost nobody I've talked to has ever had hypnosis. Right. I mean, I've talked to certainly talked to some who have, but most have not, and they're dealing only with their own conscious memories. Wow. Just, well, I'm just kind of like, you know, na 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 to the naysayers in a way. So, <laughs> Well, I guess it's all about perspective and, and, you know, people need to have that. I think those are like those left brainers, you know, it's like we need to have the facts. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm suspect of the hypnosis sessions. I mean, I suspect yeah. that, you know, some, some percentage of it is clouded or mixed up or jumbled or, you know, or, or the aberration of a, of the mind, you know, but I don't know whether that's 2% or 98%, you know? Right. Yeah. Very true. So I wanted to ask you, Oh, you're going to ask me a question. I want to ask you a question. Okay. So you just got back from the UFO Congress in Arizona. Yeah. And it had been a while since you had been to a conference, but this is the first time you spoke publicly and I think that is amazing, and I just wanted to say kudos to you for doing so. How do you feel now? I mean, do you feel, like, energized about, like, you know, just by obviously being in that room with like-minded people is definitely um, so refreshing because, I mean, obviously, it, it's a hard thing to deal with. Obviously, when you, you're so isolated, you live in the middle of nowhere in Idaho, <laughs> Well, I'm, I you mean, know. I have this thing that, you know, that's connected to, um, you know, the worldwide <laughs> web of information on my desk here. And, and so I do have a resource to talk you. to people. Yeah, so. uh. um, but I mean, to to do that and being there after, you know, not being there for so long, do you feel like it's changing as far as like um, the, you know, your your uh, presentation was definitely geared towards the optic T you know, they're going to have all the nuts and bolts guys there. And, and you know, I, what I don't was... think the nuts and bolts guys even walked in the door. So, um, uh, you know, I think that, I mean, I, that's, I don't really know, but that's my sense. You know, it's very difficult. I did not see the room. You know, you sort of walk out on stage and these bright lights and it kind of seemed like the room was sort of fullish. And um, so I, maybe there was probably between 200 and 300 people in the room when I did the presentation. Um, I suspect that the people who walked in were, uh, you know, a little more on the love and light side than on the nuts and bolts side, but I can't say that for sure. Right. Well then did you feel, what about other people's presentations? I mean, obviously you're going to have every aspect of, of, 
phenomenon represented in a you know conference such as that you know you know it's interesting so kim carlsberg spoke she's an, she's an abductee a contactee and um she spoke just before me and there was another guy who was great who i fell in love with his name's kwani i gotta look at his name he's got an, he's got taken on sort of a native american name um but his first name is kwani i'm not going to try to pronounce his last name lapsaritis um and his in he uh has done bigfoot research and is like all tapped into this psychic Bigfoot aspect, and he has his own contact experiences and UFO experiences. Super interesting guy. He said yes to an interview, so that's I'm looking forward to talking to him. Um, I've did, did I've done an interview with Kim Carlsberg, um, and then the rest of it. There was a lot of emphasis on scientists and folks who, uh, you know, this one guy from MUFON who wrote a 600 page book on the government and UFOs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that the I did look at the index of the book, and the word abduction gets mentioned once in that book. <laughs> and it was basically like an aside where he contacted another researcher, Bill Chalker, in Australia. And it was just, you know, so in Bill Chalker, it said Bill Chalker, who has been doing UFO and abduction research. And that's the only time abduction showed up in the in a 600-page book. Um, and I also did not see his presentation, so I can't, I can't be too judgmental on, on him. But um, so it seemed like it was weighted towards the you know nuts and bolts crowd and less towards the love and light crowd or the you know you know the hippy dippy uh, uh experiencers yeah so then your presentation obviously is about synchronicity and owls and the et phenomenon i don't know exactly what the title was but the title was owl synchronicity and the ufo abductee okay so i mean i've had an experience with an owl as well when I was very young, um, being presented to me um, in, a, in a way that I can only describe as an owl, but had such a weird experience surrounding it. But And that, Dan, I've heard that story, and you talk about that on the Peter Slatter interview, the first yes, one. Yes, I do. And, yeah. and that sounds to me like it was a screen memory, like mm-hmm. a psychic presentation uh, into your mind, and and perhaps... I mean, obviously, it's very difficult to say. There's no way to know for sure. But uh, the way it plays out in other stories is that that image, there's a probability that it could have been a an gray alien simply using the owl as a costume in a way. Right. So now, obviously, you've gotten a lot of response from other experiencers giving you their testimonies where they've had an owl present themselves in a, in a weird synchronistic way. And then come to find out they're an abductee. Um, but since you've been doing this research in the very beginning, what was it that started you on this journey? With I mean, to me, it's fascinating because there's so many different facets to the phenomenon. But why the owls? What was it that got you? Started well, the doing owls. That? The owls were. Um, you know, I had an event in. 2006, October 2006, which I've spoken about many times here, and it's posted on the blog. It was like the fourth posting I did on the blog, I think, where I was camping with this girl, this young woman who I did not really know. Her name is Kristen. We went out camping for one night right near my house here and saw three owls. They appeared appeared to us uh, as the sun was setting. Uh, We went out camping four days later. The same exact thing happened. We saw three owls. Now, what I did not say in that written essay, which was the fourth or so post on the blog, a very popular post, which is well worth reading, what I did not say in the moment and only kind of declared it recently in an essay I wrote last summer and I said it on stage, is when I saw those owls, there was a screaming voice in my head 
that said this has something to do with the UFOs. Mm-hmm. And it happened the first night, and then four nights later it happened again when we saw those three owls. Now, uh, since that time, whenever I talk to anyone, whenever I talk to an experiencer, an abductee, a researcher, uh, I'll say, hey, um, you had any experience with owls? It's not 100%. But the people who've had the contact experience, the abduction experience, will say, you know, that's funny you should ask. And then they'll tell some really weird story about an owl. Um, oftentimes an owl, but what is a very normal story is an owl will simply, they'll say like, oh, you know, there was this one apartment I lived at. And man, I remember I was getting, a, there was a lot of activity there. I was getting, felt like I was getting abducted all the time. And it seems like they were coming all the time. And, and then they'll say, oh, and there was an owl living right outside my window. Or, oh, I would come home from work and there'd be an owl on the, on the tree branch right next to the porch. Uh, and what they describe is a real owl. They're describing something that's owl size. It flies around like an owl. It does owl things. But it shows up in the presence of the abductee during a time of, of uh, intense contact events or directly after a contact event or initially preceding uh, a contact event. I've also got a bunch where people will see an owl. It'll be nighttime. They'll look up and like, hey, look, an owl. And this owl will fly off. And the next thing they know, a UFO flies over. I've got a few like that. Wow. So, so I, it's a total mystery. I think it is, it is like I kind of have to take off my nuts and bolts hat and put mm-hmm. on my, my you know, <laughs> mystical shaman hat to figure this out. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that another kind of hat, but I'm going to actually not. Tinfoil hat? <laughs> no, I was actually going to say dealy boppers. <laughs> oh, no, I hate the dealy boppers. Oh, they put dealy boppers on. That's the one thing I think any any uh, conference there should be like written right into the mission statement that there'll be no dealy boppers. There was one point when all the, the, the sweet, you know, young women that were working behind the desk, you know, where they kind of give you your tags and stuff like that and, you know, pay for, you know, people who want to come in and just see one talk, you know, their desk was there and they all had dealy boppers on. And I just was like, I was so, like, I just couldn't even, it was really... It irked me. So, you know, it's really hard because, but why would it have to be that? You know, with, with the dealy boppers and the. Well, you had dealy boppers know. on your head in that picture, didn't you? I did not. Oh, there were dealy boppers. Okay. Pardon? No, in the picture <laughs> from, my... in the picture from uh, when you were a little girl at the Halloween thing. Oh, no. Those were, that was just tinfoil. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so it does look a little bit like dealy boppers. Okay. No. Just so. so so, I mean, obviously, you're doing all this research about the owls. I, I actually have been paying very close attention to um, your progress and in getting into this and getting into this. But do you think that we're going to be able to get to the bottom of this? Or is it just some sort of a mystical connotation for um, the abduction experience? I think I mean, we're not going to get to the bottom of it. I don't think we're going right. to get to the bottom of it. You know, maybe after death or something like that, we'll, have right. to, we'll be able to like see things from a different perspective and, and kind of go, oh, now I get it. But like in this, I feel pretty darn strongly like it is going to remain a mystery from for on and on and on. I think the mystery will evolve and will, you know, this maybe we'll wrap our minds around some aspect of it. And as soon as we do, like some other part will like emerge that will be um, equally as as perplexing. You know, it'll it'll constantly be confronting us with a mystery. Uh you know, the, the owl thing, you know, like, uh, you know, it, that just sort of, you know, obviously I'm the owl guy now and I'm not joking in the sense that, you know, like, like you Google my name and you right. Google, excuse me, you Google UFOs and owls and my name is the first thing that comes up. It's like, you know, the first seven things that comes up basically. Wow. Um, so if you've had an experience, if you're, you know, often, you know, Borneo or, or Bora Bora or something like that and you, and you get on the internet and you've had a UFO and owl experience, you're going to find me. Right. Um, so... 
so I've been the receive at the receiving end of a lot of owl stories, and those are those are fast becoming, or slowly. Let me put it that way: slowly becoming uh, the the uh, part of a book project. You know, the core right. of a book project that I'm working on. So you know what I think is really awesome is that um, if somebody hears about you, okay, and they start listening to your um, your stories that you've written about or blogged about, what have you. And what I think is going to be fascinating is if they say, oh, my God, I have this weird owl experience. And then that triggers the, oh, my God, aha moment for them where they say, well, wait a minute. Okay, well, I had that happen to me, too. And I had that happen to me, too. And they start realizing that maybe their experiences were a lot more than they thought they were. And maybe the owl thing wasn't um, just an owl sighting. Do you know what I mean? Well, it could have been a physical owl that showed up, uh, you know, real owl, like, you know, an owl that got, you know, hatched out of an egg and, and flies around well, at night. I'm, I know, I know. Yeah, but what so, if it was a synchronistic event that happened around something else? You know, that's what absolutely, I mean. So that's the, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's my story in a way. I mean, that's my right. story. I mean, I had the owl experiences first in a way. Well, let's say I, so I had a lifetime of odd experiences that I fully managed to deny. And then I had, uh, the owl experience in 2006, you know, the big booming voice that says this has something to do, you, do with UFOs. I started looking into my own experiences, was flooded with owl sightings. I mean, crazy weird owl sightings, lots of them, back to back to back. And synchronicities at the same time, you know, like my life, as soon as I started looking into this, as soon as I said, well, I'm going to proceed forward on this path and try to make sense of my own experiences. Wham, I was hit with both owls and synchronicities. And that was what confirmed the reality of the, of the UFO stuff to me was that the act of seeking, the act of looking generated all this synchronistic madness. Um, and then uh, it's toned down a little bit now where now I'm at the receiving end of, you know, what's happening now is people say like, Oh, I read your essay, and as I was reading the essay, an owl like mm-hmm. you know landed on my outside my window. Right. Um, so they're not actually happening to me, but they're getting back to me. So other people are. It's getting so weird, you know. Like after the event, after the thing at the conference, people would people actually said, uh, you know, I was driving home and an owl flew past my windshield on the way home from the conference, you know, um, or that night that I spoke. Wow. Um, you know, people who lived in in the Phoenix area and just spent the night at their own home instead of at the hotel. You know. The whole synchronicity thing, um, it has been such a huge part of my life. All your life or just or just all you, my life. Okay. And I mean, literally, well, from what I can remember back in my teens, um, just really odd synchronistic events that happened with my family, my mother, um, especially my mother. But um I didn't really start paying attention to them probably until like my my twenties and my my mid twenties. But they were just so complex. Oh, then- okay. So just what you said, they're the complex ones. Now, this I'm at a point now where the more complex, the more entangled, the more impossible to untangle. You know, like I've got a bunch of stories. Some of mine are personal like that, and then some that people have tried to tell me. In it. And, uh, and the more complex they are, the more I trust them. In the sense, the more that I trust that there's a, there's a metaphysical or paranormal or perhaps a UFO uh, source that's generating that those those synchronicities i don't i don't know why it is but the more complex they are the more i trust them okay so that's funny because i know that you when we started talking you're, you know the first thing that you talked about you know was the whole 1962 thing and then you sent me 
um, an email, I remember this very clearly, of a bunch of female abductees that all were born in the same year, and they all looked very similar. Yeah, I called it a girl band. You could all be in the same band, exactly, yeah. <laughs> a girl band. Don't you think? I mean, it was like Josie and the Pussycats or something like that. You, look, you know, would all look great on stage, yeah. But I just literally was freaking out about that because I, I just, it hit me. It was like, oh my God, what in the hell is going on? And then I went on my own little tangent and I started looking, everybody, every person that I met, I'd say, what year were you born? What year were you born? You know, and, and, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, did there, was there some sort of like a cosmic seating in 1962 where That's we my, were all what, just... What, did the flying saucer like go around and like, you know, put the, put the zap on a bunch of pregnant women? Yeah. So I, I and I'm actually keeping the, the 1962 thing for me has turned into 1961, 1962 and 1963. That's the window I'm looking at. And now to be quite honest, it might be my own self-indulgent madness. And I mean, there's obviously people who are born in those years. It's the you know, height of the baby boom or kind of the tail end of it. So there's lots of us out there that were born in that year, but um, but th- but it might be. Well, let me just think of my thoughts. Go through your thoughts because I'm actually going to Google something right now. You 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 have another window and your internet opened. Like I just opened it right now. You're kidding? The, the, the sound quality is going to plummet. <laughs> let me know if it does. Um, Hold on. Let me think. What was I saying? Now I completely lost what I was saying. Shit. Uh, I can hear you typing. Oh, I'm sorry. What are you uh, Googling? Um, I am Googling. I was just reading something, and it was about um, that President Eisenhower supposedly had the meeting. Um, 1954, yeah. 54. I think it was the... Six, maybe. I don't know. Fifty-two. Um, let's see. So, so, um, well, I was, I was, I was listening to an interview the other night, and you know, based on whether or not these facts are true in regards to President Eisenhower having a secret meeting with another race or races. From another planet, sure. From another, that's, that, right, that, that story. Planet. Now, that story is a great story. It is a great story. I love listening about it because it's such a fun thing to imagine. Now, I am I am not convinced that it actually ever took place, but it, but it right. is a great story. So right, but but they were saying that it was 1960, and after the agreement, I thought that was interesting because it was right around that time of 1961, 62, 63, that all these supposed, um, you know, the, all the abductees that are born in those years. There might have been some other thing because I don't think it was, it was, uh, I think it was earlier than that in his presidency. Yeah, I think it was earlier because it was an event that happened at Edwards Air Force Base. Here, let me, now I'm going to get my hair. I have a 1954, February 1954, um, near Edwards Air Force Base in California. Okay, so I thought it was actually. Well, the person who I heard the interview with was obviously mistaken on the date because. Well, it might who might not ever have happened. So I mean, you know, whatever the nineteen fifty four might be right, disinformation right, right. by, you know, by uh, things. So here, shut that window down now. So. No, hold on. I'm just moving my. I had to I'm open doing up something. my. What are you like? It sounds like you're rolling a giant uh, <laughs> cannonball through the no. wood floor. I had to uh, unplug my mic back in and put it back in again. For whatever reason. Okay, we can blame this on Jack, I think, all this. Yeah, do it. I swear to God, what the hell do you do? Okay, good. 
So anyway, so where it was so uh, uh, so it might so nineteen we got to sidetrack there nineteen this whole nineteen sixty two thing might be my own sort of madness, even though I have got a list of about sixty people who were born in nineteen those either sixty one sixty two sixty three who I suspect strongly are UFO abductees, uh, and oftentimes and now one of the things that I also put in the list of is that UFO abductees that have come forward either researching or with their own experiences. Um, as part of the list. Now, you, you, you've heard the story of how that happened, didn't you? Uh, no. How I, 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 I might have, but I don't remember. Why did I tell you a thousand stories you don't remember? <laughs> I was at a UFO conference probably going back to 2008. I think it was 2008. And Dolores Cannon was sitting on stage in her chair, like a, you know, sort of a frumpy, sweet grandmother. And she was kind of talking and, you know, saying like, oh, this is happening and this is happening, you know. And then uh, I was there in the audience. I was right up close. And and there came a point when she said, she said, I'm seeing a pattern. It's people in their mid-40s now. But when they were in their 20s or their teens, they had some sort of confirmation event. And that matched me because I saw UFO in, when I was that age. A very clear UFO. And she said, and then in their 30s, they had a very hard time, and that's true with me. I went through a very bleak period of depression in my 30s. And she said, now they're coming forward with their experiences. And that fits me because there was a short time where I was part of a UFO uh, documentary where I was speaking on camera about my experiences. That documentary results kind of fizzled, and I'm sure it'll never be resurrected. But she was basically describing me, and I knew it. Wow. And I went up to her afterwards after the end of the talk. And I said, listen, I have to ask you about the thing you said where you talked about the people born in this era and like having this trouble. And, and then, you know, in the you know, 30s, they had a hard time of it. And she looked at me like, what are you talking about? And then I felt so embarrassed that she didn't know what I was talking about. I walked away. Later, I met a bunch of people that fit the, the thing on the checklist under very weird synchronistic circumstances, especially right in the beginning. Bam, they came in a flurry. Um, and the, and they all, and I would, yeah, it was weird. And then, you know, they were finding me as soon as I started the blog. Like, literally on the first week I started the blog. And let me tell you, man, like, I didn't, like, there was, I don't know how they found me. And then I, I spent 1995 and bought the DVD of her talk. And I came in the mail. I opened it up. I plopped it into my DVD player. I sat on the couch and watched the whole thing. She never said it. <gasps> well. Put it in the, played it again. Just to make sure, she never said it. She did talk about one person who was having a hard time and, and was considering suicide that she had worked with. You know, there was a couple words or so in there that matched, but she certainly did not say the pattern that I described. Wow. And, uh, and what it did is, so it was very weird. So I have this experience. And like I, like I went up to her, I watched the whole talk. I went right up to her within minutes of the talk after it ended, went right to her table and sat and talked with her. She dismissed me because I sounded like, you know, whatever. I was basically saying something she didn't say. And then after that, I started finding people. And then I found out she never said it. So, so I, you know, I don't understand it. So, um, but it's, you know, I'm talking to the one person on earth who's had the, probably the more powerful experience than anyone about the 1962 thing. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, um, maybe, do you think there was some sort of a telepathic communication going on or something? I mean, I leave the door open for everything. So 
do I think that, you know, sure, I'm open to that. You know, was I somehow, you know, did I, was I delusional and imagined it out of my own ego? Probably not. The reason I say that is because I went up to her right afterwards, right in the moment. I could see if it was like two years later and I thought back, you know, I think she said that in the talk, but I, t- I went up to her right in the moment and I knew I wanted to ask her right in the moment. So, uh, so it's less that it was like a mistaken memory or a delusion. Uh, you know, the, the, am I, was I sent on some quest by the UFO occupants who, you know, zapped that into my mind somehow? I, I can't say no. I can't dismiss that. Um, uh, that is not the, you know, I mean, obviously that's a very bold statement, so I, so I, I can't answer that. But what has happened is I've got a list of about getting up to close to 60 people. So when you, have you ever contacted them and told them about this? Pretty much every single said, one of them, yeah. And what have they said? Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Oh, wrong. Well. And they never quite go beyond that. So, except for you. <laughs> you went and married one. I'm the weird whatever one. Good <laughs> I'm not, we're not married. Okay, so sorry. You went and moved in with one. Let me put it that way. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, for me, I almost feel like um, these synchronicities obviously are there for a reason. And I think that for somebody like you and somebody like me, that that it's almost like, quote unquote, they know that that this is how we operate and this is how we that we pay attention to those things. And so it's it's directing us and guiding us in a certain way or on a certain path. And it's like little, like we talked about little breadcrumbs that we are following to the next thing. And that's why that's what I think happened with Jack. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, the minute we and we talk about this, the minute we we had a little doubt, something else would happen. And then we doubt again and then something else would happen. Interesting. Interesting. I could see it sort of playing out with me like that in a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it plays out that way somewhat to me. Yeah. When I have a doubt that the stuff shows up almost in the moment almost in the exactly exactly almost like i i i breathe the doubt like i i vocalize the doubt and in that moment an event will happen whether that's a email will come in or a coyote will run across my lawn or an owl will show up or or you know something very you know almost silly will happen we had that happen you and i do you remember that we were oh, yeah yeah i wrote a blog post on you had yeah. a, a, a coyote i was sitting right in this chair and and uh, what happened was uh it was summertime and we were talking about stuff I was talking about how I was feeling better. I was feeling more brave. I was basically saying, you know what I think? I, we, I was, we recorded it. It was on Skype. I can, I can link right back to it because I think I even I played know exactly. the recording. It was May, it was May of uh, 2012. Yeah, which makes sense. So, so I'm sitting the here at the desk. Yeah, and, I, and uh, um, I'll put a link on that in the show notes because I'm not going to look it up right now. But um, one of the things that was interesting was that I usually keep, the, I keep this window right across my desk blocked off because in the bright sunlight – I can't sit at the desk and use a computer and draw and stuff like that. So I pulled the uh, the blinders out, which is basically a big piece of cardboard, uh, out of the window. And um, I rarely do that. And I did that. And that day when I did that, that was the day that I saw a coyote run right in front of me. So I would not have seen it had I have not pulled the big piece of cardboard out of the window so I could see out into the yard. Um, the coyote showed up right at the moment I said something to the effect of, I was saying something like, you know, I'm kind of scared to follow through with this stuff. And I kind of went, well, wait a minute. I'm not scared anymore. Wham, the coyote right. was, in, it was in my field of view. Yeah. I mean, like yeah, I in that, that exact moment, that. in that microsecond. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I'll put a link to that because that was kind of a funny little thing, and you get to hear your voice on there too. Because I, I do, <laughs> I do post the audio of it because we did record the Skype session. So right. Yeah, I remember that. That that um, I was actually in San Francisco, and I was. Uh, it was right after my breakup, and, and um, I went up to visit my daughter in San Francisco. And a friend of hers was going to Europe, and so I was staying in her little apartment there, um, right near um, Dorothy Park. And I had the weirdest experience that night, and I think we were Skyping from there. But we were talking and, during the day. Was it later that night? Um, I'm not sure if it was later that night. Or the night before? I'm not sure. Okay, keep going. Um, I I was sitting in the room, and... There was a, um, the windows were open and there was a rustling um, outside the, the bay window. And I was on the second floor and, but it was in the trees and there was a chain link fence around the little courtyard in the back. And I heard something climbing on the fence, but it didn't sound like a cat because it was so heavy. And I thought thought, oh my God, somebody's climbing the fence like a person, right? And I got really scared because I was by myself. I was in a place, strange place. Um, and so I, I just basically turned all the lights out and crawled on the floor like a ninja, like you do. Like I'm <laughs> a ninja, like I, yes. Like I do. <laughs> yeah. And I, I tried to look out without it being able to see me in the dark, obviously, and I could see a shadow. And my feeling was literally that it was something like, like it was a creature like Gollum. Oh, I remember okay. you saying this. Yeah. And Do you remember that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I remember this. And I was, I'm just trying to think, because I remember you described it as, as like, like almost like a big cat. Right. But a big s- cat. But it, it would have to be like a, like a, bobcat or something you know what i'm saying and literally there would not be a bobcat climbing a chain link fence in san francisco but there would be a paranormal event taking place near a ufo abductee that would mimic some sort of mystical event similar to what a you know what a warrior in the plains of north dakota might encounter you know 400 years ago you know true very true but at that moment i i felt like it was a predator and I got um, the energy feeling that it was not pleasant. And I could, and I, I, I heard something like a, like that, like a, like letting out air, like, like, an exa- like an exasperation sound. And I was like, oh my God, that is not an animal. And it stopped and I could see the outline of its, like, of its silhouette along the leaves and it was actually in the tree at this point. And I basically just screamed out, you know, every, you know, protection um, that I could give myself at that moment and telling it to go away in the name of God and whatever, you know, just to try and, and it just disappeared. It just completely, it's like it didn't climb back down. It just, all of a sudden there was no shadow. It was gone. And I was just like, my heart was pounding. I just thought, oh my God, you know, it's like, I almost called the police thinking that there was a predator out there. But as soon as it was gone and I just kind of gathered myself, I remembered there were three windows and it was like a bay window. Like I said, and I looked up 
um, in the very left corner window and I could see the sky and I saw a triangle craft. Okay. I don't think I've told you this before. You never told me the triangle craft part. Okay. I saw a triangle craft. I thought it was an airplane, but it was like a boomerang shape and it had multicolored lights on each side of the V. And so it wasn't like a triangle because there was no blackness inside of it. It was just a boomerang, but it was just trucking along. And I went, okay. Trucking along fast or slow? No, just, just like a, um, like how an airplane, um, the speed of an airplane at that um, elevation would be, but it was lower than like a high flying jet. So being as our airports nearby, you know, I tried to rationalize in my head that it was a plane either landing or just taken off and was ascending, but it just was at the same altitude. So it didn't look like it was actually climbing or descending. It was staying in the same trajectory. And it was just, I mean, perfect outline. And I could see the lights uh, on the boomerang. And so, I just... Okay, so, so UFO abductee she has a paranormal event with a sort of mystical creature, like almost a mystical evil creature, scary creature, and then looks up and sees a UFO. Yep. Uh, Mufan would take that story and throw it in the trash can. <laughs> I know. <sighs> it's so frustrating. I mean, and then again, it's not because, you know, it doesn't matter um, what they think, what MUFON thinks. Yeah, well, MUFON, I think, whatever, that's, whatever, that's kind of a generalization. You know, I mean, there's, there are people within the UFO community that would not entertain that story at all. So, um, so anything else to that story? I kind of, I felt like I interrupted you a little at the end there. Oh, no, I just, um, you know, it was weird. It was, it was almost like a, like when, when you said that you saw the beings outside the window in Maine and you had said that either they're back or they're here again, that's exactly how I felt. I felt no sense of alarm. I felt like for the, for the small... But, but wait, about, you had just been alarmed because you'd just been looking at the no, evil cat. No, but I wasn't alarmed by the craft. I was more yeah. alarmed by the creature, but not by the craft. But there was such a small amount of window for me to see it at that moment. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. So it had to be. So there we go. There it had to be. It if there was a physical craft up in the sky, it had to be. I mean, the you know what does that involve so to like line it up to your line of sight at that exact moment out of a, out of the canyon, the narrow canyon of a of buildings in an urban setting. Right. Exactly. I mean, it was literally because I only saw it for like maybe five seconds, as it, it just went from one end of the window to the other, and it was gone. And I have a story which I don't know if I've ever told you, which I need to um, document. It's very strange. I've never documented this one. I think about it. In that presentation, which uh, which if people haven't seen the presentation, it'll take a little bit to, you know, this won't make sense in a way, but they can go to the post that says, um, now I know. That's the title of the post. When I was trying to line those three things up on the map, there was one in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. And I said that, oh, it's the Bertrail Road. Now, now, I didn't initially think it was the Bertrail Road. I was trying to make this other one fit, and it didn't fit at all. And I was kind of like, why isn't this fitting? Why isn't this fitting? So this is the event that did not fit along that perfect line. I kind of played, you know, I could put the little, I found it on the map. I figured out where it was. It didn't fit. You know, then I said, oh, yes, there was the thing on the Bertrail Road. That is the thing that fit exactly on the yellow line between the two points on the, on the map. This other experience, I was with Natasha. This was the same trip as the uh, fear in the tent. And we were driving through an area called um, Garden of the Gods. No, 
Valley of the Gods in southern Utah. It's an amazing place. This is dirt road. I tried to drive down it probably close to 30 years ago, and I couldn't get down it because it was a uh, the road hadn't been maintained very well. But now the road was maintained beautifully. It had just been graded. We would drive this rent-a-car down this road. Um, we sort of got to a spot, and there was like a little turnoff, and we turned off there and said, hey, there's this beautiful spot. Let's go sleep over there. So we hiked up this canyon for maybe a couple hours. Beautiful, really just as pretty and pristine as any place I've ever been in Utah. And um, we lay down to go to sleep, and we're in this canyon. It was like, you know, I lived in New York City, so it's like laying down in a street in New York City. And so the big, tall walls of the canyon, right and left, and so all we have is a narrow stripe of visible skyline. Sun is setting. It's not quite dark yet. It's right at that twilight zone. You know, so there's still some ambient light in the sky, but we're in our sleeping bags. We found this beautiful flat rock to sleep on. It was spectacular. And I say, oh, let's do this thing that we do sometimes. And we may have even recorded it. I don't think we did, though. Um, and I said, this thing that I do sometimes, and I, I say, okay, let's ask the universe. Like, like, are you, what do you, how do you feel? Are you ready for anything? She's like, Natasha says, yep, I'm ready for anything. So I say, okay, okay, here we go, universe. I'm open and receptive to whatever you want to offer us. Bam, right at that moment, this orange light passes right above us on the canyon. Wow. And it was, you know how like a satellite or something like that might seem pretty bright at twilight, you know, and I've seen some pretty bright twinkly lights at twilight. Um, but this was bright. This was powerfully bright in a way that that did not match anything I'd ever seen in the in the in that kind of environment. Um, you know, uh, but the weird thing, so when actually it's funny, what, as it was coasting across from us, I basically said, wiggle around, move right and left. Come on, wiggle around. It didn't, it just moved straight. And then it was just, I'm just a matter of not many seconds before it had just traveled the entire length above us over this Canyon. Um, we were like, wow, that was pretty interesting. Isn't that interesting? We were like, she was like, that could have been a satellite. It's like, you know, it might've been a satellite, but don't you think it's interesting that it appeared right when I said we're ready and receptive for anything. Mm-hmm. And, and they're not orange. Satellites can be orange at, at a certain point in twilight. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Orangish, let's say. Right, right. Uh, maybe, and I don't know. I mean, you know what it is? The the uh, the uh, uh, space station is the largest thing up there, and that, that actually can appear curiously orange. But this was, you know, lying in your back, looking straight up. Oftentimes the space station will need to be in the western or eastern sky, depending on where the sunrise or sunset is. Um so I can't I can't say it was a you know it was like it seems improbable now telling it that it that is a you know the, the, certain things would have to line up perfectly it could have been the international space station it could have been a large satellite but it would have to be reflecting the light just perfect and the sun was setting so there's a chance it could have been doing that now um, we talked about it for a while we went to sleep the next morning. I'm eating breakfast, and I think this is on videotape, actually. It's really funny. Natasha was videotaping me, and she, she said, um, uh, like, oh, this weird thing happened last night. It's like, what happened? It's like, oh, my God, I woke up, and I was feeling this crazy sense of fear. I thought there was something standing nearby me, and I turned to you, woke you up, and tried to wake you up. You wouldn't wake up, and I said, you know, Mike, what is it? What is it? And then you said something. This is Natasha talking. She says, Mike, you said something, but I can't remember what you said. And without skipping a beat, I said, and I don't know why I said it, I said, oh, that's a star standing still. Oh, my God. And she said, that's right. That's exactly what you said. And I don't know why I said it. I don't remember saying it. I don't remember her waking me up. I don't remember any of that. 
But I do, I do remember clearly just blurting out, oh, that was a star standing still. And she said, yes, that's exactly what you said. And then she kind of drifted back off to sleep. Wow. So that was all that same night. Um, so the, the point of this story was that when I said, listen, you know, we're laying on our backs, we're looking up at the sky, we're basically performing a ritual. We say we're open, receptive to anything. Bam, right at that moment, a big orange dot, brightly glowing, passes directly above us. So it's it's more of an affirmation, I think. No, it's not a synchronicity. I don't think it's an aff- Yeah, it's a, it's a it's an affirmation or yeah, that's a better word for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That happened to Jack actually when he was at work uh, one night. He'd seen a um, an orange sphere, like a glowing sphere, and um, he watched it move across, and then it stopped, and then he questioned himself. And I don't know if it was out loud or in his head or whatever. He just said, you know, almost like speaking to it telepathically, you know, um, either how do I know you're real or, you know, I I don't believe you are. Show me. And then it like did a wiggle. That's what I was trying to get it to do when I, when I said, you know, wiggle for me. Yeah. Move right and left. It didn't do it for me. So I wonder, I mean, obviously there's so many, I almost feel like they're trying to communicate with us in the ways that we um, will receive it. And it's, it's very individual. It's up to each person. Um, you know, you, you hear about group sightings where, you know, maybe half the people will see it and half the people won't. And they're all looking at the same place. Oh, yeah. Or, or, you know, there's one story I have where there's a guy born in 1962, by the way, uh, in a car and he's in near Sedona and someone in the back seat says, oh, you're going to get your wish and see the thing you want to see. And they'd been talking about this whole trip that he wanted to see a UFO. And right at that moment, they, they, there's this great big giant UFO lands right in front of him. Giant UFO, bright psychedelic lights all over it lands right in front of him. And there were five people in the car. Three of them saw it. Two of them didn't. Like then it flew off. You know, it's a little bit foggy story. And the and, uh, thing is right in front of him. Psychedelic colors landed on the highway in front of them. Or I think they were parked actually. Or, you know, like almost in the parking lot in front of them. And it was it was somehow two people could not perceive what was wildly, absurdly, you know, crazy lights and stuff like that right in front of them. So what do you make of that? It is somehow influencing the consciousness of the individuals. It is whatever's going on with the phenomena has a powerful ability to control people's minds and consciousness and perceptions. That's, you know, like a one, you know, Mac Tony's, you know, almost in a little bit of a, I mean, he was being purposely kind of ridiculous when he said it, but it is worth thinking about. Like the entire UFO phenomena could be a mass screen memory, you know, how it's presenting itself. I mean, the whole thing could be a screen memory. Like everyone's experience, Any, anyone who sees a UFO flying south from the sky could be seeing just a little projected thing into their psyche. Hmm. I, 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 I'm, I'm not, I, I wouldn't, I doubt that's the way it's really playing out. I understand why he could get sort of say that in a, in a place of frustration. Well, of course you're trying to look for answers and obviously, you know, how do you find an answer to any of this? Because it's just completely subjective and completely absurd at times. Right. Absolutely. I had a funny thing where, did you read the thing where I had those streetlights go out on me? No. Did I tell you about that? No. 
Well, Cynthia and I were driving back from, she needed a ride to the airport. So I drove her to the airport on the very end of the last day of the conference. And then, um, oh, lights were going off above us as we were driving to the thing. And then we pulled on to, I, like we had a map and it was like, wait a minute. You know, like I'd never been to the airport before and I got written the directions down. And so we pulled into the, like a, uh, fast food place. And I kind of look at the, the, uh, map and and if we pull into a little parking spot and as soon as we pull into the parking spot the street light right above the parking space goes out she said there it is it happened again and then as i was driving for after we got out of the the uh uh parking lot i would be driving so you imagine i'm holding the handle of uh, the steering wheel and the street lights are above us as we're driving and i did it twice and i stopped after twice it was kind of like it felt like I didn't need to prove anything. And I would take my index finger and I would just kind of lift my index finger and point at a light. And as soon as I would go point, it would go blink and it would go out right at the moment. I oh my God. And then I would drive a little farther and I would get to another light and I would see it coming and I would like get above our car and I would point at it and it would go out. Wow. So that happened twice where I actually pointed at it and went out and I was kind of like, I was kind of like, oh, you saw that, huh? She's like, yep. And I was like so bland. It was like, huh, that seems pretty normal at this point, huh? <laughs> and um, so. Isn't that the truth? I yeah. had a weird thing happen last night. Um, when um, I was having remote Reiki um, by my my friend that lives in L.A. No, what about the guy who like lives and shares a house with you? Doesn't uh, I know well, she's 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 getting certified for level. Oh, okay, two. okay. So level two is remote, so she needed somebody to to work on. Oh, she so, should work on me. I got my back. Oh anyway, my keep gosh, going. Yeah. awesome! Um, so she told me when she was going to start doing it, and I said okay. So I just laid down and made sure that I was just in a moment to receive this energy. And uh, the door was like cracked open a little bit and I was laying in the, in the den in here on the futon. And uh, the dog Damien just comes in like I had my eyes closed and he came in and he just barked at me for no reason. He just went woof like that. And I scared the shit out of me, number one, you know, because I'm in this place, right? Named after yeah. dog named after like the like the evil oh, know, kid right? from from the omen too. Oh, I know, isn't that awesome? So I was like, well, he never does that. Like, but he's been acting so weird lately. Like, I mean, he will see things all the time. He'll just sit in here and like stare at the ceiling for no reason. And he's like staring and staring. He actually was in here staring at the ceiling and actually went out of the room to like go on the other side of the wall. And was like staring up there too, like like he he sees things all like the time. a little invisible thing, like pass through the the wall and like was in the other room, possibly. Okay. So I thought, oh my god, because maybe he was sensing her energy working on me, whatever, and he just came in, and woofed at me at that moment, you know. And so this was probably like about I'm going to say like ten minutes into um, her working on me and I've made sure that he had, um, gone to the bathroom, had been fed and everything before I started just to make sure he, he wouldn't interrupt me. So I was like, that is so hysterical. So then after the treatment, we were chatting on my phone, just on the text. And, and she said, I had a jolt like, like 10 minutes into it. Like when I was working on your abdomen and I like took my hands away up in the air and she said it was almost like an element of surprise. I said, oh, my God, the dog barked. And it sh- it scared the shit out of me. And so maybe she was picking up on my energy. You know what I mean? So sure, it was just kind yeah. of a weird coincidence. And I said, well, that's why that happened. And she said, wow, that is so cool because it's like an affirmation for her that, um, you know, her energy was here. And she's the one that, that 
has had that she's the one that you said almost at the very beginning of this whole talk was that she says she doesn't feel like she's from here. Yes, exactly. Huh. Very interesting. I know. I know. Do you want to plug your blog and your, your, uh, your audio stuff? Sure. So just like right I can here, put the links on online, but just tell me what's up with yeah, them. Yeah. Um, so I have a blog. I started blogging in, oh my gosh, was it 2011? I can't even remember that. It seems like it's been 10 years, but I, I just decided, you know what? I have been reading other people's things and I just thought, you know, I have to connect with these experiencers because I, I just feel like I need um, either to connect them or just me to connect with them, what have you. So I started writing about my experiences um, on my blog, which is abductiawareness.blogspot.com. And it has been a real great time, I have to say. Mike, I cannot thank you enough for, for being my mentor. And I should uh, also add, you know what I like about that blog is it looks so beautiful. The art direction is glorious. You know, the only other blog that I can think of that actually is more superior than mine is this one called hidden experience right i don't know guy, if you've heard yeah. about it yeah he's got a, he's he was a former art director in new york city that like went to turn into a ski bum and then you know still keeps his art direction chops uh by yeah and by, he's, uh, he's very tweaking he's his very, own blog and sometimes yours well yeah i know and i have to say if it wasn't for you i don't know where i would be right now and i mean that from the bottom of my heart because you are such an inspiration to me Really? Oh gosh. Okay. I can't. You know, no, you really like are. Okay. No, no. I, I'm dead serious because I think that um, the more that we've communicated and we've definitely become very good friends, um, that you know me so well and and have been able to support me and and tweak things that need to be tweaked. And you have such a keen eye for things that I might have missed. So, you know, I just have to say thank you for that. And also. My uh, podcast, which I am is actually... that on Blog Talk? Do you do that on Blog Talk? Uh, on, on... <laughs> on Blog Talk Radio? Do you know, like... <laughs> on... <laughs> Blog Talk Radio. Hello? Did I? Did I? Is it? Is it... Wait, are you there? Are you there? <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah, right. No, it is not on Blog Talk. Oh, um, okay. It's actually on Podbean. Right on. And and you were an inspiration then again for me to do that. So thank you again. Um, well, you had already been doing your own audio stuff I, before that. I have. I, I was doing, you know, a, a, with a KGRA, radio show with KJRA. Yeah. Um, it was really great. And I just, you know what? I, I'm so, I should be doing more than I am. And being as I don't do a weekly show, it was really difficult for me. So this is a little bit easier for me to work at my own pace per se. Um, and so my podcast is at random alien brain droppings dot podbean dot com. And I'll put a link for that for both of those. I really appreciate that. And, you know, again, they're kind of bleeding over to each other. I, I need to dedicate myself to write more on my blog. I I'm going to, as per requested by a certain blogger friend of mine to add some, add some excerpts from my book on there. So I'm going to be doing that soon. Um, and so, yeah, I just uh, look forward to connecting more, getting these things out there more. Um, these interviews that you do are just amazing. And obviously the response that you've gotten shows that you're on the right path. So, Well, actually, you know, surprisingly, I, I haven't gotten that big of a response. But, I, but I mean, quite honestly, there's not that honestly, many people. 
Honestly. Well, I mean, the, the response is not showing up in the numbers, you know, like there's other podcasts that get a zillion more hits than I do. Uh, it is showing up in, I think, in the quality of the listeners. Uh, the, you know, I feel like the folks who comment and and chime in. And uh, so my sense is that it's reaching the right people. So the, that's that's all I'm concerned about. The most important thing. I mean, you look at these uh, things that go viral and it's just, you know, there for a reason. It's a distraction. So if people are really serious about uh, learning things that are important, I think that those are the ones that show up and the, those are the ones who are there. And, and I have the same thing with mine. You know, I don't really, I, I try not to think about, you know, you know, I want to reach as many people as possible. And I know you do too, but we're only going to be appealing to a certain audience and, and those are the ones that well actually i don't want to reach as many as possible to. like i'm totally no. connection like well, I'm, I'm totally I'm content. saying the most people in the experience as possible yeah. that's what i meant to say um we would really want to reach out to those that um take this very seriously because it's something to be taken seriously and it not is to not stop entertainment that. yeah it is not entertainment this is an educational experience for all of us and i think everyone has something different to share whether it be owls, whether it be, you know, whatever it is, if, if, you know, you're a healer or if you're doing energy work, or if you are into, um, you know, I mean, the you nuts know, and bolts stuff is totally say, valid. If you're yeah. Nuts and bolts and stuff. It's totally part of the experience. They're all just, they all go together. You know, you can't have one without the other and that's just the way it is. And so we are part of that in this, you know, in this forum in, on this platform that we're doing, um, so I, I definitely encourage anybody to contact me, um, or visit my, my blog or my, my podcast. Listen, they're available. Let me say that again. They are also available on iTunes. So if you need to download them, just, um, as mics are as well, um, you know, these things are there for us to learn about each other and maybe figure out um, a little bit more about the bigger picture, not necessarily to have all the answers because nobody does. And I don't think anybody ever will. But um, if you're as interested as I am in the fact that um, number one, there are uh, now seven, 715 more planets discovered. Um, and the fact that we are also going to be financing from a private company, another um, Mars mission that will be, uh, a recolonization, um, why somebody would actually want to spend billions of dollars on that might make you think a little bit more about um, our future here. Um, obviously, um, maybe they know more than we are privy to. Obviously, that's the case. But, you know, obviously, there's things that we need to be paying attention to. Uh, yep. We. I mean, there's a lot going on, and they, it's... Uh... Sometimes I'm overwhelmed by how much there's going on as far as the internet stuff. And then, um, and then, uh, but at the same time, my very strong sense is that there are people having direct experience in the weirdest possible ways. Uh, and, and that those people need a voice. And you know what's funny, Mike, when you say in the weirdest sort of ways, I think that they're just weird because it's not part of the quote unquote normal. Part of the human experience that we've been taught to be. They might not be weird at all acceptable. if we were raised in a in a you know in a in a in the in a village in the jungles of Brazil. Exactly. And but unfortunately, we were you know you and I were raised in this Western society and this and and yeah. So it it is it feels like it is way outside the boundaries of what is considered normal. You know, in this place we live in called you know whatever present day America. Right. That's true. 
Well, it's great. This went well. Yes, I'll, I'll, I will be in touch. When you can post it on your site, I can post it on my site. And we'll we'll, we'll right. double dip that way. Yeah, so. I, I love the double dipping, definitely. Yeah. And I, again, just want to say thanks again for everything you've done for, like I said, being my mentor. And I look forward to um, what you have to show us next about the owl experience. And, well, and that's going to be that happening. Might be going. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's uh, you know, the next thing will be in a book format. And that will be coming up soon to a theater near you? <laughs> no, to a bookstore, hopefully, or online, yeah. So. No, I mean, it's isn't it hard, though, Mike? I mean, obviously, it's not off the record, but I'll just say this right now. I mean, you and I are both uh, writing these things down and, and trying to be diligent is so difficult, and, and things change on a daily basis, and it's really hard to, you know look back at the experience and just like have a cutoff point and say, I'm going to stop now, you know, yeah, because it just goes on and on and on and it changes all the time. It's like a kaleidoscope. It's really hard to make it so, um, you know, I'm going to say three-dimensional because it's certainly not a three-dimensional experience. It is multidimensional. Yeah. And, and multidimensional in all kinds of aspects, you know, so it's hard to put that down on a, a one-dimensional one piece of paper. That's the challenge. You know, that's where that's where it takes the role of the poet in a way, rather than the role of the analyst. I think. I mean, you have to be both, because I'm, you know, I'm trying to tap into some sort of pretty mystical stuff. You know, there's certainly mystical stuff that can be written about, and it can be done. Um, you know, I have to make it. I have to make it believable. Mm, you know, I, I don't want to bore the reader either. It's funny. It's like when you say. You have to make it believable. So it's like, what's believable? I well, mean, here, let me say it this way. I have to make, I, I want to make sure I don't bore the, the reader. Let me put it, that might be a better way to say it. How do we do that? <laughs> you know, that's that, that you have you know to, what I mean? yeah. I mean, if I, if I wrote a 700 page book that was boring, I, I would be not doing a service to the, to anything. So, um, so I have to, I have to make sure that it's, you know, whatever. So here's the thing. I am, I am. I am this the the subject has been delightful it has been electrifying for me and I'm trying to put that energy into it. Right. Yeah, I hear you. Definitely. I I'm you know I have a hard time because I'm so I elaborate so much to the, the littlest detail, you know, and I'm definitely you, you and I are storytellers storyteller so it's uh definitely something that you have to pay attention to. Yeah, and just and don't and don't Get, don't cling to stuff if you know the editor, if you get an editor that says oh let's just snip this out so there you have it so we shall see great to be continued well this has been great it has been great thank you so much mike i will talk to you soon sounds great bye-bye bye hi this is mike i am chiming in at the end of the editing uh, wow, that uh, we covered a lot of bases uh, we really loosened up near the end it felt like and that's what i like and I hope you got a lot out of it. I've included links to Suzanne's blog, as well as her audio podcast site. Those are linked on the show notes. Her blog is called Abductee Awareness. You can find it at abductiawareness.blogspot.com. And her podcast series is under the name Random Alien Brain Droppings. All one word, Random Alien Brain Droppings. Podbean. Com. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.